Welcome to the My Life is the Medicine podcast, where we get off the never-ending search for more and take an inward gaze to find how our lives have already taught us profound truths. Rather than turning outward to experts or gurus, we talk with ordinary people and reflect inwardly about the life journey and everything felt, thought, and experienced along the way. Join us in casual conversation and reflective dialogue to discover how simply living a normal life, reflecting on our own life experiences, has already given us all the expertise we need. Hosted by Chuck Hancock, an ordinary human who has lived life in many roles, like psychotherapist, software engineer, school teacher, orphan, adoptee, father, brother, mentor, coach, ceremonialist, and more. Chuck is a weaver of wisdom from modern day psychology to ancient wisdom of indigenous and European roots, creating alchemy from everyday modern American life. Thanks for joining us today in the second part of our conversation with our guest. If you missed the first part of the conversation, you might want to go back and listen to that one first, or at very least read the show notes so you know who it is that we're talking to. But I think that you'd be really well served to check out that first episode. So if you haven't heard that one yet, go back one episode and listen to the first part of the conversation to hear the foundation of where we're coming from, and then come back to this one to dive into the rest of our conversation, exploring how our guest's life has provided them with so much medicine for their own life and the rest of the people that share it with them. So don't miss the backstory. Go check that out and come back. We'll be here. And if you're ready, here we go. Really, that's when I, you know, I had been interested in, you know, learning more about fitness and wellness. It's just, it's been a passion of mine for, you know, really my whole entire life. Like I joke, I was just joking with my mom at one of my workout sessions over the summer with my little small, my small group of women that like in second grade on career day, I dressed up as Jane Fonda with like, it was probably like 1984 or something like that, you know, and leg warmers and tights and a belt and the whole nine yards. Cause I just, there was something, there was something like moving and being in my body. Like there was a calling towards that. And so it was during that time where I was just like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to get my certification to be personal trainer. I had absolutely no idea why I was doing that. It was one of those things, like like I said, there's been a few things in my life where I was just like, I don't know where this feels bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Like meeting you and having that connection with you, the way that especially our oldest child was conceived, our move to Colorado are all things like big, huge, life-changing things. And they've all felt like they've just been something bigger than me. And I don't tell very many people that because it sounds, I'm aware of what that sounds like, you know, and I have my own vulnerabilities around that. Um, But I just did it. And I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm just going to follow this thread. And I think it was like, maybe it's Brene Brown or, you know, it's like, you don't have to know what the next, you don't have to know the end of this, you know, you don't have to know what Z is, but if you're at A, you just need to get to B, you know, and that's really what it felt like. Um, And it just opened up this whole like, oh, yeah, I really I love learning about this stuff. And if I don't ever do anything with it, that's okay. I'm going to do this for myself, you know, and I, you know, I'm going to. Yeah, if if I if it's only for me, that's okay. And there's not a whole lot of things I've ever said in my life that like if this is just for me, that's okay. Pretty much, you know, as a wife and a mother and a teacher, most of the things that I do 
are for others, quite honestly, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and this was just for me. And then, you know, then it kind of evolved to like learning about learning about things and then also learning about women's physiology and realizing, you know, that there's so many inaccuracies and how much of our, you know, things that we're told are based on male physiology and realizing, oh, wow, like this is more than just like, oh, gosh, like I don't like surface level, like, oh, this is a better way to get in shape. It was like this sort of fundamental, like, this is work that I want to do in the world to like demystify. And like the educator in me was just like, there was something lit up about like that, that I want to help educate women that there's this different way. And there's this emerging science because people are finally, you know, in the year, you know, 2020, 2021, starting to actually even study women's physiology, which is insane, you know? Right. And so this, like, that journey came from reclaiming this is what I want and this is something that I'm really curious and passionate about. But if you wouldn't mind backing mm-hmm. up a little bit, sure. Kelly, I think that, like, you've had some life experiences that that also fueled that, yeah. like, realizing that, no, I have a female body and that actually means something different. Can you share a little bit about, um, like, the, what was behind uh, that realization even? Um, yeah, I mean, there's been a few things. So I'm not, ex- I mean, I'll just share what comes to mind for yeah. me. Like I, you, there might be something else and you can, <laughs> if there's something there's else. There's no right answer I'm looking for. I'm right. Just I just didn't know if there was this, your life a particular <laughs> life experience. Um, I think the thing that comes to mind with me is that I've, I've struggled with body, body image for mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't ever honestly remember a time in my life where I didn't struggle with body image stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that's a whole, a whole, <laughs> whole big long story yeah. in and of itself. So I'll just keep it to, cause I think a lot of women and a lot of people probably, you know, have that experience and, and can relate. Um, but just feeling like, I think that I think the biggest thing that was underneath that is just not under that just came from not understanding my own body, mm-hmm. you know, and knowing what was happening. And even, you know, when I going as far back as like, you know, and when I got my first period at 13, you know, which is we have a 13 year old daughter. So it, you know, it feels like it's, you know, it's, it's, that's in the forefront of my mind as well of like not really even knowing what was happening in my body and what the gift of that was and like all the connotations and perceptions that were put on me in that process, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, in my teen years and twenties, you know, just developing, you know, essentially disordered eating and, you know, crazy amounts of exercise trying to fit into a body that really wasn't mine mm-hmm. um and you know ultimately being the you know becoming a mother and and just even the struggles with being able to conceive that you know were really kind of life-changing changed my whole relationship with my body right yeah Right. I mean, you hadn't had a period in how long? I mean, it was years. And and I know why now, you know, it was this huge, that was the thing. I mean, yeah, like all throughout my twenties. Yeah. Like I ate like maybe 800 cal. Like I was so, so structured with my eating and food and 
I would plan everything out. It was just like obsessive. Like I could have an orange here and then like half of a muffin and then I could finish my muffin later and maybe, you know, and like, I mean, I mean, 800 calories might be even over what I was actually eating when I think of it now. That's scary. And yeah, it's terrifying. And I mean, it makes me so sad of what I was doing to my body during like those years when it should have been the most vibrant, you know? And so there's grief around that, you know, I can even saying it, I could, I can feel the grief of like, wow, that was a really shitty thing to do to my body, you know, but I, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought, wow, you just eat less calories and then you lose weight. And then when you lose weight, people give you compliments. Right. Um, people are like, oh my gosh, you're, you know, you can, you're so small. And there's so much there on that smallness. You know, there's mm-hmm. such a, and like I said, this is, this is, this is why I, the work that I do in the world is so, I feel like is so important because I know I'm, this is not a unique story. You know, my story is so, so, you know, similar to a lot of women. Like the smaller you are, the more you, oh, you're so small. You're so tiny. You're so, um, you get put on a pedestal and like, here's, here's this, the clincher that like I made the connection with once I went into that whole grief process with my dad of like, and when you're small and tiny people protect you. Mm. Right. And as somebody that has that, like, for whatever reason, I mean, I didn't have any, I had a wonderful family who always cared for me. Like I don't, I didn't, I don't have any childhood trauma that I know of around safety. So I don't, I don't know what it is other than I was just a very precocious, nervous child in the world, you know? Um, and sometimes didn't feel safe for not really any external reason. Um, but when you're small and you're tiny, people protect you and they take care of you. And so mm-hmm. I think that now looking back in hindsight, I can see that there was this connection there of just wanting to be, I wanted to be small and taken care of, you know, yeah. and as I, you know, again, I didn't, didn't mention this, my family dynamic and, you know, I'm the oldest child. I have two younger sisters, one sister is two years younger than me, one sister is 13 years younger than me. Um, so I, you know, at a pretty young age took on a caretaker role, right. um, which was mostly really voluntary, you know, like I realized again, I don't want to, you know, get too far off topic, but I, I think that was another, you know, that people pleaser trend. I realized I could get like when I was really responsible and I was really helpful that I got a really positive reaction, you know, and mm-hmm. that dopamine hit of like, oh, people, I'm loved because I can do these things, you know, and right. again, that that factors into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to the the whole eating disorder thing, yeah, and on top of hardly eating any calories, I would run sometimes like up to like 10 miles a day and do hot yoga and work all day. And yeah, I lost a ton of weight, like my normal weight is normally, you know, 125 to 130. Um, I'm, I've always been a really athletic kind of more on the athletic muscular body type. And, uh, at my lightest during that time, I think I was 98 pounds at one point when I looked at the scale and that actually terrified me. I remember having a stomach bug and getting on the scale and realizing like, like I was like 90 something pounds and realizing, oh my God, like if I, you know, like if I have the stomach bug for a couple of days, like I could be at the point where I, you know, something really bad is going to happen to me and that being really scary. And that was right around the time we moved to Colorado. Um, yeah. 
And I was just, <laughs> I remember when I first started working at my school, I was so tiny that one of the sixth grade teachers saw me in the hallway, like at some point was like, shouldn't you be in class? And I turned around and I was like teaching first grade at the time. And he's like, oh, sorry, you're just so small. I thought you were one of the kids, you wow. know? And like, I could wear kids' sides clothes, you know? I was right. just so tiny. Um, and there was this like denial, like I didn't even understand, I didn't even know there was anything wrong, quite frankly. If you would have told me I had an eating disorder in that time, I would have fought you on it. And I'm sure I did, you know? Right. Um, I did not recognize it. I thought I was, and, and which I, is, is such a, you know, a common thing too. Like I couldn't see it. I thought I was just getting healthy. Right. I thought I was superior to everyone. My food intake, you know, I was um, vegetarian, vegan during that time. I was even raw vegan during that time. Like I wouldn't even eat anything cooked. Mm. Uh, it had to be raw. And I was miserable. Like my digestion was just jacked up. And like you said, like my period stopped for years. And I <laughs> I look back knowing what I do and the work that I do with women now, it, and this is so fundamental to it. I had no idea why I wasn't having a period. Mm -hmm. And the thing that almost, like it just burns me up inside and makes me so angry is it, I went to doctors. Mm -hmm. I went to doctors. They could see me. They These were doctors that, you know, like numerous doctors. Yeah. And nobody said you're underweight. Even your OBGYN. Nobody. Like, I went to two specialists. different ones. Yeah. Because I was at the point, you know, like late, my late 20s at that point, we'd been married for a few years. And I was like, you know, that I was starting to feel, you know, like I want to start a family, you know. And I was like, well, I can't if I don't have a cycle. Like, how could that possibly ever happen? And um, so I was trying, you know. And so then I tried, you know, some alternative, you know, like acupuncture and, and things like that. And it it was really... <laughs> My one of my acupuncturists who looked at me well, actually it was a naturopath first who looked at me and she said, "You just need to gain weight. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just underweight." And I was like, "What?" And she and I I couldn't bear the thought of eating more, but the alternative was never becoming a mother. Hmm. And that was so like it was this instinctual I don't know visceral you know, that maternal instinct in me, you mm. know, was just so strong that I was like, you know, okay. And so she started, she said, one tablespoon of coconut oil. She said, I want you to just start with one tablespoon of coconut oil every day. And that was like, I literally had to gag it, like to hand shaking with the coconut oil on the spoon to get it in my mouth every day. Cause I was terrified of what was going to happen. There was so much control over mm. now that I can recognize now I had so much control over my body and I was taming it to be the way that I wanted it to be and small that I was so afraid that that stupid spoonful of coconut oil was going to make me lose control, mm. you know? Um, wow. And that, yeah. And that I was going to go back to being quote unquote fat. I was never fat. I've never been fat. You know, not even, you know, and fat is such a loaded term and I, you know, but I've never been overweight in my life. Right. Um, but I had this just gut-wrenching, terrifying fear that that would happen. And of course it didn't. I did gain weight. I started to put on and she told me she, and, and this woman, she told me, she's like, you need to get up. And she gave me a certain weight and said, you need to get to this point. And that's exactly the weight that I was at when... Morgan was conceived 
and I had not even had a period yet, which is the crazy part of the right. story. I must have ovulated that month. I, that This was a couple months into that process and I must have ovulated, but I hadn't actually had the period yet. And so a couple, you know, a month or so later when I was just like my body, I, I gained like 10 pounds all of a sudden, like immediately. I could not figure out what was going wrong. I was just like something. Um, actually, you know what? I didn't, I, I gained the weight, but I was like, I was also, that's the point where I was seeing an acupuncturist who, I don't think I even mentioned this, but last night before we had our experience in Old Town that we did, I waved to someone and that was her. Oh, whoa. <laughs> that was my acupuncturist. Oh my goodness. So shout out if you're a Fort Collins local Rachel Rachel Blanc babies by Blanc she's amazing um <laughs> I was seeing her because she's a woman's she focuses on fertility and she was you know I was doing my acupuncture and she had me on supplements and all that kind of stuff and it was it was her that she knew I was pregnant before I did I remember I went in and she took my pulse and she's like you think you could be pregnant and I was like well I haven't had a period like I could not even, I, you know, at this point I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even really understand quite how it, the whole process worked. And I was 28 years old. I mean, I, I knew, but I didn't really know, right, you know, right. like, um, and I was like, nah, no. Nah. And I even took a pregnancy test that night and it was negative. And I was like, see, it was so early on that the pregnancy test did not even pick it up. And I went back two weeks later for my appointment. She checked my pulse again. She's like, I really think you need to take another pregnancy test. She's like, I really feel like. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so I think I even did it. It was like in the morning before work. So I was just like, whatever, you know, like mm -hmm. it's going to be negative. And I think I remember I took it and it was positive. And I like called you in the bathroom and I was like shaking. And I was like, just stay. I don't think I even said anything. I think I was just standing there with the pregnancy <laughs> test. And like, I just remember the look on your face. And like, we just stood there in the bathroom. We just didn't even. How is this possible? How is this possible? <laughs> we joked it was the Immaculate Conception when, I mean, we had had sex. So it wasn't the Immaculate Conception, but it was funny, you know, because it had been around christmas time when he was right. conceived so it became kind of a joke but i just remember standing there dumbfounded and like this can't be real this can't be real this can't be real you know and i remember i had a training that day and i just couldn't even you know i was immediately called my OBGYN, and i was like i just need to come in i need someone to tell you know because i was just so emotional and um yeah i mean they did the blood test which is you know really reliable <laughs> yeah and then sure enough, I mean, I was and, you know, Morgan was born super healthy, almost nine pound giant baby boy that somehow my very beleaguered body was somehow able to conceive and mm -hmm. you know of course and, and and that's the thing like during my pregnancy like that that is what healed me from that because I it was something outside of my, it was something, I, I, it wasn't me. It wasn't right. me who I was responsible for. So I ate, I ate for the first time, I mm -hmm. think in my life, like I would actually eat food. Right. Um, I mean, I still probably now, even knowing what I know now, um, I still wasn't eating meat, which I, we could get into that too, but I, I, which I regret. Um, I don't know, somehow he turned out to be like the, you know, a kiddo who's always been like the 99th percentile for, weight and height and he's you know robust and healthy and all that kind of stuff um so like nature finds a way and he got what he wanted i mean it was i think i think you know depleting for me <laughs> and i've you know <laughs> had to work for a lot of years to regain that so that's that's the way it works but um you know somehow in that process i i just this miracle of this 
you know, which sounds so cliche, but you know, when it's literally happening inside your body, it's hard to, it's hard to deny and it's hard to, you know, so, uh, that was so healing for me. And I feel like, yeah, bringing it like just back around, like that is what, like, I know exactly what was happening in my body. There's like a whole syndrome, this, you know, red S syndrome. And it's, it's exactly what happened with me. Like it was literally not enough calories, too much exercise. It's super common in female athletes. It happens all the time. And nobody told me. And you know, no one told me that 16 years ago because there had been so little research done at that point that it was like not a well-known thing. Right. And so easily correctable. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's so much suffering, so much strife, um, so yeah. much fear around, uh, maybe I'll never become a mom. My body is broken. Right. Because nobody, nobody told me, you know? Well, and because of this, like what I heard you say was like, it wasn't what I wanted for my body. There was this desire, this image that you had for yourself that, you know, wasn't super in alignment with health and nature. And it, like you said, also, it was about your ability to try to maintain control. And both of those things, like as they softened, obviously they softened a little bit then over the, to enough to get pregnant, but that has also been like a, a lifelong journey to even like this past week, we were talking about this Elizabeth Gilbert quote yeah, about like, just thinking that surrender because you don't have control all you've ever had was anxiety yeah you're afraid to surrender because you feel like you lose control but you right. never had control all you had was anxiety exactly that's, yeah that's exactly the quote yeah, yeah. that's all i ever had was anxiety yeah. yeah 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 and little by little over almost 15 years now mm-hmm. like you've been learning Little by little, more surrender into trusting this process of something else actually is a part of this relationship, Uh, um, not just like you and I's relationship, but your relationship to life. Yeah. I mean, surrender is such a huge, huge theme. I was thinking, I mean, that word comes up for me so much. You know, I, when we were talking about the grief of losing my dad, there was just the surrendering to the grief, right? There was a surrendering to, as ridiculous as it sounds, surrendering to eating a tablespoon of coconut oil that's mm-hmm. where i was at that's how you know that's mm-hmm. that's the condition that i was in that that took surrender to be able to put that coconut oil in my mouth you know and then also i mean even even when sunny was born or or conceived our second our daughter like we had just made the decision we're gonna wait six more months at least mm-hmm. before we try to get pregnant and I was still breastfeeding Morgan, you know, like my cycle was way, you know, like it had come back, but not really like didn't think it like was at a time where I didn't think I should have gotten pregnant because we weren't really, you know, trying not to. But, you know, we had just we had logically cognitively in our way been said, nope, we're going to wait. Maybe we'll wait till May. We'll wait till six more months. And right. then immediately I was pregnant. Right. And so and then, you know. Then she was born and they're, you know, 23 months apart. You know, Morgan was, I think, 13 months old at the time. I'm fairly certain, too, like this, your dad has been this theme weaving into our conversation. Like, I remember, we've talked about this, like, I remember the sex and the orgasm, the ejaculation feeling different Mm -hmm. when both Morgan was conceived and Sonoma was conceived. And when Sonoma was conceived, I believe your mom was still in Florida and we were preparing Thanksgiving dinner for your dad. And yeah, your and Morgan was sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it was this kind of like, 
Like, yeah, I think we were all like even just getting over a stomach bug or something like that. Right. And it was so like, unlikely, <laughs> unlikely situation. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, I remember that. And it was just like, oh, do you want to? OK. And then it feeling like an otherworldly experience, right. that, you know, like, oh, wow, that was surprisingly good type of a thing, you know, right. but not recognizing it for that. And then, you know, and then then realizing, oh, wow okay, here's baby number two, you know, and mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, every major story we've shared today, and obviously we have a ton more stories we could share, but <laughs> no, it's gonna every be a whole single series. one <laughs> that we've shared, like, it seems like there's this presence of, of something else yeah. that keeps mm -hmm. coming in that it's like on one level it's like a, an intervention you know like the pregnancies yeah. or the uh, you know the engagement with your acupuncturist or whatever and but it's also like this intervention that both had a, a very tangible outcome but also was the beginning mm -hmm. of a bigger yeah. process a bigger new phase of the journey yeah the word that comes to mind is it feels faded in a way, like the mm. word faded has been coming oh, up. Oh, fated. Fated, F-A-T-E-D. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not faded, yeah. fated. Yeah. Like involving fate, like, right. you know, and I, I, I don't know, that word has just been really up for me lately. And I've always had mixed feelings about this, that word, you know, and I don't mean like in a doom and gloom, you know, like you have mm -hmm. no control over it, but more in a surrendering, being guided sort of a way of like, maybe it didn't wasn't always going to happen exactly how it happened, but like what happened was going to happen no matter what in some way, shape or form, you yeah. know? And I mean, if I can, I can relate that same feeling to us moving from Florida to Colorado, which was hugely life changing. It was just this, I mean, I won't say spur of the moment decision, but the way that it happened and the way that we were able to just kind of, it just, it, it was like riding on a wave, you know, it felt like being on a surfboard in a way, even though there were so many, you know, there were challenges in there, but like we made the decision and then it just, it happened, you know, like right. we found jobs, we found jobs. I mean, I found the job that I'm still currently at. I found my, my, I found a family mm -hmm. essentially with the people that I work with, you know, mm -hmm. and like, um, and a second home in a way, you know, that place, my school, the, place that I work with, even though, again, it's been filled with challenges and ups and downs. Um, and then even moving here to our home, like in the foothills from when we lived in town, like that's a whole other crazy story. We literally, our house wasn't on the market and somebody like randomly contacted us, like an actual person, not like one of those people that buy and sell homes, like an actual person like said, Hey, we're looking to buy a house in your neighborhood. Like they had cleaned our house. I think we had hired the woman as a cleaner once before. Oh, right. And yeah. she said, I've actually been in your house a while back. And would you, sell, would you sell us your house? And we had been wanting to move, but couldn't, your kids were like four and two. And it was just felt, felt like you were finishing grad, like just out mm -hmm. of grad school. And it felt like a terrible, terrible time. And, you know, but you don't have people like contact you out of the blue much and say, here, we're willing to pay your asking price for your house. Mm -hmm. And then we started looking for this. And then this is the only house that we looked at. We immediately found this and fell in love with this neighborhood and got an amazing deal on our house. And yeah, we've been here ever since it was just, it, it felt like we were not, it was not, it was something outside of ourselves, you know? Right. Right. And we were just saying yes. 
Because we could have said no. So fast. I mean, even as you're saying this, like, even though we've just shared, what, like, six examples of it, you know, and there's more I could think of right now, like, there's still this part of me that has this hard time trusting it and really believing it. Yeah. And even though, like, last night, you know, like, um, so the story of last night, we were going to go see a friend's band um, uh, who plays salsa music and take dance lessons and dance, and we were both kind of like uh, Kelly had just started going back to school for the school year and um, and you know I had a busy week and we we're kind of like ah, are we really feeling this I don't know I don't really feel like sitting at home but and we made the decision to not go dancing and just walk around Old Town and then we stumbled into this which is not shop, something that we normally do which is not something we normally do <laughs> And had this amazing conversation with this with this man that has this shop that doesn't um, sell, <laughs> sell anything. anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the and, and and essentially that's kind of what this was all about. Was like that. Uh, I don't even. I'm struggling to put words to it, but it's, yeah. it's about what we're we've been talking about. Of like, yeah something else guided us to this shop that we didn't know it was there and had this amazing conversation with this man who was saying all the same things that we've been talking about in our personal lives and what this podcast is about, about like not listening to other people's ideas, not, but to really listen within and, and there's guidance and there's creation and there's like this eunice that can Mm -hmm. evolve and, um, through this process of, just living life and um and allowing um yeah. i think was that one of the words that he used at one point um uh, yeah and and we were just listening to these stories and and allowing and um and i think that a lot of these stories about our lives that we've shared here have been about allowing and as i started to share at the beginning of this episode like even my training as a psychotherapist um, and and some of these cultural traditions I've trained in, they've provided these shoulds that sound great in theory. Um, but the reality is that to really listen deeply and possibly allow like the imperfection of us meeting while partying and drinking a lot and us mm-hmm. um yeah and moving in together right away moving Doing in all together the wrong we did things. all the wrong got a dog together right away <laughs> like and there was times that i would un- wanted to use that as justification to separate i'm like oh we haven't really lived our lives and you know mm-hmm. we should we we got hitched and settled down too soon and but we've stayed with the process you know and you know, like when the kids were conceived, none of those were like, okay, we're ready to have kids. But mm-hmm. we've said yes to like, well, we have kids. Let's do it the best we can, even though it looks ugly and um, <laughs> messy and hard and frustrating a lot of the times. And yeah. like the allowing and the saying yes to the grief process to unfold how it needs to unfold and the yeah. on and on and on, like the allowing and then being able to really not just say like, okay, well that sucked. Let's forget about that. Um, but I think you and I both have been good about looking back and like, what was that about? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Yeah. I wonder why things did happen like this. Like, yeah. what is the lesson? What is the medicine out of those things? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So both the allowing and the reflecting, mm-hmm. like, has brought tremendous healing and transformation to you, as you've been talking a lot about today, but but to me as well. Yeah. Both yeah. of us and our relationship as well. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I think I still get in this place of like, oh, our relationship could be so much different and so much better and so much something else, but then it wouldn't be what it is, which obviously has been really amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think that's the, one of the dynamics in our relationship is you are such like a big picture thinker, you know, and you're always like the driving force of like moving things forward. And I'm more of the like details and the little things and a slower pace sometimes, you know, like a slow meandering spiralic sort of pace, you know? In summertime. I'm going to call BS. <laughs> sometimes you are way faster and more stressed than I am. But Oh, yeah. No, and I don't mean, I don't mean, yes, I will admit that. But I just mean with like growth and development sometimes. And I think that that, oh, I, I, yeah. I think... I think as far as like moving our, like, like our relationship and like growing our relationship and like getting deeper and all that kind of stuff, you know, like you're more willing to, so Chuck is a Sagittarius and I'm a Cancer if that people who are into astrology (laughs) will understand that, you know, I am so much more of like the homebody and, you know, and it's like, I'd say we're both pretty much on the introverted, introverted side of the, um, spectrum but i think it's just it's it's a balance you know what i mean i guess that's what i'm trying to say is like i always see you as like that archer shooting the arrow forward like moving us forward with a lot of that masculine energy so to speak you know Mm. of like all right you know and and even you know sometimes it's not consistent you know sometimes it's faster and sometimes it's slower um and then i think what i bring to it sometimes is more of like let's marinate in these waters a little bit longer, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like let's ring it out, you know, let's ring out every little detail or like, let's, let's look a little bit closer, you know? And I, but the cool thing is I think that that was the original dynamic. And I almost feel like there's times now where we're able to reverse those things sometimes and hold, or at least hold those things for each other in different, you know, in different contexts, you know? And so, you know, the masculine and the feminine and that polarity and that dynamic, you know, and I feel like we've really in the past couple of years really been exploring that, but not just in that, like, I hold the feminine and you hold the masculine. I think that we've, we've been looking at it in a way sort of like that we obviously that both of those things exist in both of us and like, how are they in or like looking at it through that lens of how are that, how are, how is my masculine relating to your feminine and how is your, you know, masculine relating to my feminine, you know, right. and like, how is that dance looking and even understanding that that's actually happening, whether we realize it or not that it is, you know, and how is that informing what's going on, say with a disagreement over, you know, whatever it is. Right. Cause life and I think the thing that really has been transformational for us, and again, like I would not presume to know what's best for anybody else's relationship, but I think giving each other like physical space, like, you know, Chuck mentioned that we were sitting outside. We have this little outbuilding out back behind our house. We jokingly call it the love shack. Um, mm-hmm. 
but it's been an office. Like during COVID, it was <laughs> Chuck's office and ceremony. But Chuck actually has a bed out here and he like this is his space, which I think sometimes, you know, could be perceived as like, well, that's weird. You guys don't sleep in the same bed. And we and we don't. We made that decision. It's probably been about a year now mm -hmm. that like the master bedroom is kind of my space and this is his space. Because I think we realized we were just engaged in this kind of codependent, I don't know, it just felt like a very locked yeah. energy, like locked up, I guess, you know? Too close. Like, I feel like, our, like maybe the simplest way to say it is our unconscious is we're constantly battling each yeah. other. Like, yeah. in, in our conscious, we try to talk about it, we try to process it, yeah. and... And then we just like kept going in circles and in yeah. circles and in yeah. circles and having the same yeah. conversations and yeah. um, eventually, yeah, creating a little bit more space yeah. for you to be you and have your space and yeah. me to be me and have my space yeah. has created uh, the ability for us both to really relax and unplug and recharge more. Maybe part of our introversion is, is a part of that too. But then also like when we come together, yeah. like it's even more meaningful. Yeah. I mean... The, the image that's coming to mind is like kind of like when people first start dating, you know, they live separately. And then when they get yeah. together for a date, it's, um, you know, it's really special. Right. You know, and it's mm -hmm. kind of like that. Not not exactly, but kind of. Yeah. I mean, we still run a household together. Right. And spend a lot right. Of time in the yeah. House together. I mean, we're in our house is not big by any stretch of the imagination, you know, and I think COVID you know, and a lot of people probably experienced that, <laughs> like, you know, made it feel a heck really of a lot small. small. Um <laughs> But yeah, yeah, no, I agree of like having that space just to to be right. Like even if you're just sleeping, it's pretty, you know, on, honestly, you know, those are the times probably when we're right. spend the most time in those rooms, you know, but to have that space and that just a little bit of separation and that kind of distance has, I think, given us, per it just adds a different perspective to things, I think, you know, and yeah, I feel like. And we haven't really maybe formally reflected on that. I'm not sure that, you know, we've really talked about this before, you know, like cause it's been just like probably a year. I think it was last fall, which we made that decision out of under duress. You know, it wasn't right. like, oh, let's, you know, here's a proactive thing we can do. It was like we were really pissed at each other. And we're yeah. just like, I can't even be in the same room as you right now. Like, I don't want to be around you. You know, we were right. both saying that to each other, you know, so it was out of sort of an angry sort of yucky feeling energy frustrated yeah frustrated place that we kind of came to that and i think you were finally like i'm just going out there to sleep because like i don't want to keep doing it you know right. and i was just like i can't keep doing this you know and so i think giving us the giving ourselves the permission to do things a little bit differently and just like you know being like you know what so what who cares we yeah. sleep in separate beds it doesn't mean that we aren't together a lot doesn't mean we don't have amazing sex it doesn't mean that doesn't have to mean that it doesn't mean we have like a broken bedroom or anything like that that it's just right. that's that's the dynamic that works really well for us i think we're yeah. both very we both are people that have big emotional lives yeah and i think that maybe i guess what i'm getting to is that has kind of given us the space to actually expand into those emotions mm. Um, instead of like bumping up against the other persons, like in that sort of like, I, when I let everything out sort of, then it oozes into yours, you know, and mm -hmm. vice versa, right. Yeah, me too. you know, and it sounds like that's a lot to put on just sleeping in separate spaces, but I don't know. There was something energetically about that, that feels like that's what started to happen. 
Absolutely. Well, and I think it's another example of like listening to what is and listening to what is true and not make up any negative stories about it. Uh, although uh, I'll be honest, I certainly did. Like, what is wrong with us? Why can't we sleep in the same bed? Everyone else is. Everyone mm-hmm. says you're supposed to be so close and all the touch and physical contact and all, you know, mm-hmm. all the stories that exist around romantic and intimate relationships, yeah. you know, definitely use those as ammo, more self-criticism about me and about our relationship. But Really, like you said, it's been about a year and it's like, no, this is actually really working. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's less undercurrents of tension. Right. I feel like, you know, not that everything's perfect all the time. I mean, we certainly. Still some currents. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and I think there's always going to be, right? I think, I think that that is a big aha too, that like this fairy tale that we've been sold of like, what does a long-term relationship actually look like? It's not always getting along. Right. Like we just had this conversation also this week about getting angry actually drives you to do things you might not have done before. You got angry and you came and slept out here and it was really good. Like you got angry about something else this week and it caused you to start researching something and find something that might be a better fit for you. You know what I mean? Like our relationship wasn't meant to be, I think that's where my misconception was for a long time is I thought the relationship was supposed to be a place that was like my ultimate safe place. And, and I I still believe that to be true, but, but it means something different. It's a bigger container of safety. It's not safe. Like it always feels good and relaxing. Right. It wasn't a place that always was supposed to make me feel good and comfortable. Right. Right. And like, I think that again, going back to the whole grief process of realizing that like this constantly seeking to feel comfortable or safe or okay was such a, like was holding me back so much, you know, right. and like realizing that the container of the relationship, because we've invested a lot of time, yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, you know, the sheer longevity, um, we, but, and we've put a lot of effort into it. We've, we yeah. have been, we have worked on our relationship, but like the container of that can hold so much more. Um, and that, yeah, sometimes like if I expected us never to get mad at each other, that would, I mean, we would just be stuck then, you know mm. what I mean? And that doesn't mean we have to like, that we're necessarily like yelling at each other or being horrible to each other. But like, first of all, it's just not realistic that you're going to live with someone for 25 years and not get upset with them or sure. them not get in your nerves. So I think that's just unrealistic, but like, but, but I think having the awareness of like when those things do come up of like, well, what is, what is, what is this inside of me? You know, how is this giving me information? Like, is this, this is illuminating something instead of just being like, well, he's an asshole. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Doesn't close the cabinet door. You know what I mean? Whatever the ridiculous thing it is that you could get mad at your spouse for, you know, like what is this in me? You know, and always, I think that's one thing that at least in the past, I don't know, decade or less that we've been able to start to do and do sometimes better than others is like when those things come up, like how is this a point of growth? How is this a point of expansion either personally or for our relationship? You know, cause I think the more times you traverse 
tricky things. Like you said, like the container not only gets bigger, but it gets stronger. Right. And we can hold a lot more. And I think that that's part of like what our relationship is about is like our work and our relationship is building this really big container. Yeah. And I don't really know what's next or like what that means for as far as like our professional lives or work that we may do in the world together. But like holding this really big solid container. Right for the shared sort of purpose, like between my desire around like helping people to be well and your desire, you know, of like really helping people get in, you know, go deeper. I don't know. That's like the next, when I feel into that, like where, where is the current of the energy of the universe taking us? Like that's where it feels like it's taking us. And I don't, you know, I don't know what, the next step is, I don't know how that'll be. (laughs) Might be interesting to go back and listen to this in 10 years and see what actually did happen with (laughs) it. But it feels like we've been doing so much work individually on ourselves and not, you know, being able to then join up. Like I keep looking over, there's a hula hoop sitting over there. I keep like just imagining this big like ring or this big, you know, of like this place, like, and offering that, that container like allowing other people into that container which feels really scary you know but helping other people to heal within the context of this container like it feels Mm. like maybe that's part of what our relationship is about we're going to have to just push pause on our conversation for today but be sure to come back next week because as always the conversation gets deeper and more insightful and we can really see the bigger arc of the picture so Be sure to check out the next episode so that you can continue receiving the medicine that our guest is so willingly sharing with us. Thank you for listening to My Life is the Medicine. We hope our guest story this week has inspired you to look closer at your own life. Maybe you heard some of your own story and their story through many of these experiences are common, ordinary experiences. And maybe something about their story was unique, which also might have inspired you to think about how your life, too, is unique. Either way, we hope our story today has helped you to see that your life, too, is the medicine. If you'd like to consider diving deeper into your own story and sharing your story with others, we hope you might consider joining us on a future episode. And if not, that's okay, too. We hope you'll continue listening, keep reflecting, and help you see how your life, too, is the medicine. Take good care, and we'll see you next time.